Welcome back to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Welcome back. This is part two of a two-part series on the book From Christendom to the Apostolic Age. Matt and I are breaking down some of the implications of these things as ministry leaders. And I feel like we we, we, we scratched the surface in some areas and we dove pretty deep in others, like in the, in the previous book. We did we did not <laughs> or the episode. Yeah, we did not get practical at all. We just no. it was the sky is falling episode. And so just to <laughs> just to summarize it, for those of you who have ever seen or read the play uh, Don Quixote. Um, He's this this guy that believes that he is a knight in shining armor, and he he's he's anything but. So he goes and attacks a windmill, thinking it's a dragon. Anyways, at the end of the play, um, someone holds a mirror up to him so that he can see who he really is, and he's totally shook by it. Like, oh, I'm okay. not I'm not the knight in shining armor I thought I was. I believe that COVID held that mirror up. We had that mirror moment where it was like, this is who you really are, church. And that, that for me is like, whoa, you're not Christendom. You're apostolic age. Maybe not who you are. This is... The clothing that you're wearing Sorry, is... I, I'm still reading that book on ecclesiology. So when you say this is who you are, I'm like, ah, nope. I know. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Words matter. And so uh, this, is, this is how you're prepared to meet the world's needs. And we thought we were meeting the world's needs um, in a Christendom age, but we need to be apostolic. And held up the mirror and we were like, whoa, I'm in no way meeting yeah. the needs of the world. And we see that by churches reopening and still being empty. Like it breaks my heart to see so many communities that are just like, hey, we started up our youth program again. And we now have, you know, six youth that are coming. Well, how many did you have last year? Uh, we had 20. It's like, whoa, yeah. we only have X yeah. amount registered. And we had 3X registered last yep. year. And so... <laughs> So, yeah, so the last episode was Sky is Falling. So far, this episode has been Sky is Falling. I don't know if it was so much Sky is Falling. Maybe, you know, I think it's just like um, <laughs> maybe maybe the whole thing is like we've been walking around with pieces of the sky falling and no Chicken Little to tell us right. that the sky is falling, you know, but then the book is the Chicken Little in a way. Like, hey, guys, by the way, uh, look around. <laughs> like, it's it, The sky is falling. Yeah. You know, not really the sky is falling. The world you live in is not the world you thought you were living in. Um, and that's what I think is actually happening is like church wake up, like the world you, you think you were operating in is not the church, the world you're operating in. We need to wake up. And here's, here's the challenge is the apostolic age that we're moving into is different from any other apostolic age that we've ever encountered. And so what, what does that mean? Well, in the original apostolic age back in, in, in actually the apostles and things like that. Jesus was this new and novel idea that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Like, tell me more. We've been waiting for a Savior. Do you have the quote from the book about that? You know, that like in an apostolic age or like the, the ch- one of the challenges we face right now is not like wooing over like a lover for the first time. What it is, it's trying to woo back a divorcee to a relationship that they thought was uh, toxic. Basically, like, they said, like, do you have it? Do you have it pulled up? I don't have that. Yeah, but oh, but man. I remember it's like, it's it's a job. Like moment. it was like holy crap because you're right. Like like people that have left the church are so much harder to bring back to the church than new people coming into the church. 
The only the only person smarter than a, a person who just went through RCIA is someone who's like, ah, I was raised Catholic. I already know everything about the church. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. And it's like, but we haven't encountered in the church and that, that that's, or they haven't, you know, haven't encountered in the church and that's, that's a challenge. So, um, so that like, basically that just like, hopefully that doesn't frustrate us, you know, and, and I think we can often get into a stance of frustration towards people who think they know what they're talking about. Um, and, and we, we completely ignore the, the feelings of the person, like what they're, what they're, the, the emotions, like what they're going through. Um, and we just say, oh, well, you're wrong. <laughs> it's like, stop, that's not going to help anything. Um, this, this person, and, and a lot of people like, again, have left because of the abuse crisis. Um, you know, and so then we're trying to woo them back to the church. That's going to be hard. So here is a quote. Um, the church's primary stance before an unbelieving world is not the imposition of law, which assumes knowledge of its existence and purpose, but the mm-hmm. invitation under an attitude of mercy and hope into relationship with the living God and incorporation into the new humanity to an entirely new way of being and of seeing one that liberates and that brings meaning and joy. This is something that really got me. And you may have had other stuff to say right after that because you quote, you quoted it. But but one of the things that got me on this one was in, in a Christendom age, like um, calling someone into the church does not like is not going to cause them to make a huge shift in their life. You know, and it's not going to cause it's maybe the same kind of thing we talked about last time. But with the. Uh, in a Christendom age, or sorry, in an apostolic age, it does. They have to completely change the the way that they they were thinking of the way that they they were um, to a totally new way of life. So it's that again is a bit. It's harder to get someone to pivot just a little bit versus do a whole one eighty. I love it because you took the second part of the quote. The first part of the quote is the part that convicts me. Um, for for a timestamp, the presidential debates and all that election stuff is is going on right now um, as we're discussing it. And the uh, the the church's primary stance before an unbelieving world is not the imposition of law. And I see so many people posting things, virtue signaling or whatever you want to call it, that are basically like, if you're not Catholic or if you're Catholic, then you can't you can't do this and you can't click that and you can't can't say that this person had some good points or the other pundit had some good points because otherwise you're not Catholic enough. And it's all about moral teaching, right? And those things are so important. I do not want to underscore the value of the dignity of the human person and some of these things that the church feels like the last standing voice for these these things. Mm -hmm. However, that is not the attractiveness. That's not the invitational disposition that we need to have as evangelizing Christians. Because if transformation hasn't taken place, then imposition of morality will lead to a change in uh, behavior instead of a change in relationship, right? If that. Well, it, w- it won't. It <laughs> yeah. won't lead to that. If, if, it, if, if anything happens, it'll lead to that. But but I've seen it in confirmation programs and things like that to where they're like, if I can just jump through these hoops, sit still for these sessions, I can receive a sacrament I don't understand uh, from a God I don't know in a church I rarely attend, and then I can be done with it. And we would say, yep. hey, they went through confirmation. They did it. Rah, rah, rah. But that's not it because then they walk away with just as much relationship, which is none, with yep. the Lord as they came in. 
Yep. Uh, a little bit further in the book, and I don't know if you have a quote for this one, Chris, or not, but um, one of the things that it highlights is that you know the world we live in is very scientific, and, and science is not opposed to religion. I mean, we we like most. Well, every well-formed Catholic knows that um, that you know faith and reason go together, like and it and it work they work together. But like not everyone in the world sees it that way, right? You know, if if it looks like a rock, if it tastes like a rock or whatever, then it's a rock. Um, and if it looks like bread, if it tastes like bread, if it has the properties of bread, then it's bread. And that whole reality of a spiritual world that is bigger and more vast and more lasting than this physical world is not anywhere near uh, in their mindset. So that 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 mindset doesn't exist in, in, in the apostolic era that we find ourselves in. So when we tell people about the real presence and we say, no, this is Jesus, they're like, they may nod to it. They may say, yeah, sure. But you know what? In their mind, it looks like bread, tastes like bread. That's bread. And it, it, in their mind, it's not possible. That's the thing yeah. is, it, and it's yeah. because he refers to it as a sacramental vision of the world. And that's not page 68, a sacramental vision of the world. And we need to foster that. We need to cultivate that. So what practical implications does that have on us as catechists, as ministry leaders? So telling someone about the real presence of Jesus is important. But what we need to start with, to be honest, is the reality of the the invisible world, of the spiritual world. That there is a reality out there beyond us that is that is bigger and like wider and more real in certain ways than than where than the physical world that we touch. And these align with some values in our culture today. The sense of curiosity and wonder that are needed to kind of think at that level or to go into that level are things that art and media definitely explore and examine. Why, why do you think, yeah. you know, aliens and sci-fi and superheroes and all those things are exploring the wonder, like what would it look like if we had humans that were capable beyond what they're capable of? Even on the negative side of things, like helping them realize that that demons are real, right? So like, I don't know if I've shared the story on this podcast yet or not, but we were at a Fullness of Truth conference with my family and when we were back when the Blaze was running those for the youth track. Um, and I was just floating around in the pool after a session or whatever with my son. And I'm like, well, you know, how's, how's everything going? He's like, oh, it's, it's going well. I was like, have you learned anything? And his response to me, and he was 12 at the time, his response to me was, oh, I, I learned that God is real. And I was like, holy crap, dude, like I'm your dad. I've been a youth minister. Like you're just now realizing God is real. I'm like, but I held all that in. I didn't say any of that out loud. Good, good. <laughs> and, I, and I said, uh, so I said, oh, well, what, what made you realize that God was real? You know, what, what triggered that for you? And he's like, oh, well, when the demonologist came and presented about what he dealt with when, he, when fighting demons, and if demons are real, if the devil's real, then God's got to be real. You know, and so that reality of this spiritual world, like even on the negative side of things, you know, like can transform someone's thoughts in the way that they believe. And then it opens up this whole other realm of now I get it. Now I see why that is not bread, why that is Jesus, because there is this spiritual truth out there that I can't see. Right. And so we have to fascinate and, and be fascinating as opposed to just hold on to lawfulness and, and established virtue, right? This is a good. Helping other people is a good. It's like, yeah, but I don't have to know Jesus to help other people. And so uh, page 81 um, says, more commonly, the modern vision, 
again, this is not a sacramental vision, but the modern vision does not say God does not exist, but rather God does not matter, Mm. which comes practically speaking to mean the same thing. In other words, the explanation of something is the mass boredom of the modern age with religion and God itself. Interesting. Like go, yeah. Like how does, like how, what do we do with that practically? Well, we have to move from (laughs) Christendom to the apostolic vision because in Christendom, we assume so many things to where it's like, of course, you know what the smells and bells mean. But the thing is, is I don't even know if people know what their humanity means. Right. And Mm. so things like theology of the body and things that get to the why, why do I exist? Well, you exist because God made you and you should be good. It's like, no, 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 no. Why did God made me? Made me? Make me. You know, and uh, th- these are good questions. And so I think that in the apostolic age, we'll get further along by asking the right questions instead of giving the right answers. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we had done um, as far as our... Um, you know, some of the catechesis that we had done at Ablaze years ago. And it, again, it was one of those things that I just um, naturally picked up on, you know, was that that young people don't don't believe in God. You know, they don't even believe that God exists, that God is real, or maybe even what you were saying, that God, is, God matters. Um, and so then it was like a lot of what we did was sort of establishing the foundation for that. Like, you know, what does that look like and how do we know that that's true and different things like that? Because if, if God is not real, if God, if God doesn't matter, then none of the other stuff that we teach, like matters. Like if, if, if you know, and so that's like a great example of that is for a teen. Why should I wait until marriage to have sex? Yeah. Yeah. And if they, absolutely. if they don't believe in God, then any other argument doesn't, doesn't make sense unless you scare them with pregnancy and then they have a misunderstanding of the view of life because if pregnancy is bad and pregnancy is a life, then how can abortion be wrong if I'm supposed to be afraid of pregnancy? Like, it's just so weird. Some of the different, different pieces that were missed because we didn't connect them to a bigger worldview with God. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like understanding this reality of, of the, the great change that we are in right now is, is affecting and should affect what we teach and how we teach. And so you, earlier you said, and maybe it was in the other episode, uh, you know, something about programming that this won't affect programming. It absolutely will. Yeah. Um, and, and it should, you know, and the mindset behind it, like, and even that whole idea, like that, I and mean, we've been like, <laughs> I say we, you know, those, you know, on the uh, evangelistic side of things, like who are out evangelizing and making disciples, that, that whole idea of waiting for them to come to you, that's definitely a Christendom mindset. Like that is not the world we live in. We we have got to go out to them. And this is something that Pope Francis has said is like we need to get out there and smell like the sheep. We need to get out there and get dirty and, and get bruised and get broken. Um, that's the church that we need. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> I am so passionate about this. So we are sitting here and those who are still remain the remnant of Christendom. What they've done is they've created an us and them mentality in regards to the church and society. And so what we do is we take refuge from the world. We want to protect our families from the world, and rightly so. Obviously, we don't want them going and listening to Cardi B's latest song or anything like that. But um, there is this thing to where there's a, a, a mentality of hostility to where those Christians, those disciples that remain, 
um, uh, need to protect and stay with themselves and, and make communities within a, within themselves and stay within those communities. And the rest of the world can be out there and there's a hostility or a separation of those two. But mm. what is actually happening if we take a Christian mindset and evangelization mindset is that those people are going to miss out on salvation. So it's not an us and them. We're all in this together, except they're drowning. They are out there in the water drowning and we know how to walk on water. That is the reality of our faith. And if we are not bold enough to step out of the boat during this time, then souls will be lost, possibly our own children's souls. They need to see models and living witnesses. Saints need to rise up in this day that are willing to walk out in the water, keep their eyes fixed on Christ, and go out to help save other people. That's Amen. what needs to happen. One of the things that uh, that struck me, another thing, I've said, I think I've introduced every single segment like with that, one of the things. Um, but there's an analogy that he gives, um, and, he, and, and it's kind of like the difference between uh, Christendom and apostolic age. So in a Christendom age, it's like you're in a canoe going downstream, and all you're doing is like using the, the oar or whatever to, to pivot here and there. You don't have to row a whole lot or whatever. You just pivot every so often. Um, in an apostolic age, you are going upstream like working like really hard, you know? And so in either one of those, like it, it kind of gives you a sense of what your life is like. So when you're in a Christian age, your, your life looks like just everybody else's. Your life isn't, doesn't stick out really. Um, it's not out of the ordinary for you to do something nice for someone or for you to, you know, sacrifice for someone or anything like that. But in a Christendom age, your life as a Christian should stick out. And so that, like that idea really convicted me, you know, I was like, and so I started thinking, I was like, holy crap, does my, does my life look different? Um, if, if just a random stranger, you know, came and watched our family watched our life without like coming into my house, would they, would they assume, would they believe that I was Christian? And I asked my son this, you know, um, same son that I was talking about earlier. And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, that's not a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that answer. Yeah. Um, because I like, we, we need to stick out. Um, we need to be a sign to the culture of the inner reality of the transformation that that we have had. We need to be sacrament in the world. So in regards to that, what practically does this all look like? We we did kind of tease that there would be some practical pieces. Well, there's two two sides of it that I want to point out. The first is the fact that you probably still have people coming and present and engaging in your community. What do we do with that? First of all, we have to foster discipleship among them but discipleship in a way that has an outward focus, right? And so yep. how do we uh, uh, convict the people in a way that they cannot keep it to themselves? And I don't want you going out there and saying, okay, and then bring them to mass. That's too big of a leap to go from, hi, you're my neighbor, now come to my church. What about invite them into your homes? Break bread with them. You know, yep. everyone knows their neighbors more more now than they ever have because of COVID. Those are the only people you saw <laughs> for six months, you know. And so <laughs> how do we share Christ in the domestic church and invite people into our domestic churches? And we as ministry leaders must think of intentional ways and intentional challenges. Advent is a great way. Prepare the way. How do we prepare the way in our neighborhoods? Not just to bring people to church, but just to bring people in relationship with God's love. And you, as a baptized member of the Catholic Church, are a living example of God's love. Bring people into encounter with you. The second piece is what about those who are coming in, or sorry, a better way to say it, those who aren't regularly participating in your community. 
They're in your community, but they're not regularly participating. How do we get apostolic in regards to that? Especially as we're shifting from a place where numbers mattered so much, right? Mm. Like let's give away an iPad every single Sunday and your youth program could have 300 people coming to it. But how do we get those 300 to encounter Jesus? Probably one at a time. That's the reality. And so how can you advocate and form your other ministry leaders to like Everett Fritz said when he was on a couple episodes ago to make one saint. Your goal this year is to make one saint, one saint yeah. journey with one person to build sainthood and then build people around that one person so they can grow as a saint and watch the whole group become disciples. But your focus is on one saint. And then next year, if you've raised a disciple, they can go out and start discipling someone else and you go and start discipling someone else. And then they tell two friends and then they tell two friends and it just keeps <laughs> growing and growing, but it needs to be organically, not systematically, right? That's the challenge. Yeah. And I mean, other practicals may be much more personal, you know, for those of you who um, who have that radical transformation, have had that radical transformation, have real relationship with Jesus, like do what I'm doing, like like reevaluate reevaluate your life, like does your life look like a, a life lived by a Christian? Now, and I'm, I'm not saying that we need to, I don't know, like walk around our front yard whipping our backs or anything like that. Something to something to like, because the, the the other thing is you don't necessarily want to. I don't know, flaunt, you know, like what you're doing. Um, but if you're, if your home, you know, looks like a home radically different from the world, like, cause the world is all about, you know, more stuff, more things, bigger, better. And, and, and I'm going to protect my own. Like those are the two things that are two things that I think of when I think of the world is like, how are we, or like as Christians, like how do we interact with our things? Right? How do we use our things? You know, um, is it something that we allow to, I don't know, to keep us separate from our, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors? You know, or is it something that we use, you know, to bring our neighbors together? Do we measure ourselves by what we have instead of who we know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Any other practical things, Chris, you want to dive into? Oh my gosh. You know, there were there was language like post-Christian and uh, and non-Christian and some of those different elements. Um, I think we need to be real intentional about creating on-ramps for people. Whether and, and, and what does that look like in regards to the community? Would someone and just I guess this would be discernment, but maybe get a sheet of paper and uh, and how they would be received, how how they would be received in the community right now or how they might feel coming into our community and then how we would hope that they would feel and what needs to be done, kind of three columns. And I would yep. look at divorced. What about those who are divorced? Non-Christians, Christians, non-Catholic, those who would align with LGBTQ, someone that's, that's struggling with same-sex attraction or something like that, right? And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then you got to go even deeper than that. What about those that have a newborn or those that have mobility issues? Like all these different pieces you have to examine because the reality is, is for those who want to come back to the church, they don't feel welcome either. It's not just about welcoming those who are unchurched, but those who want to come back to the church. And I'm talking about post-COVID. I'm not even talking about those who left because they had an issue with the sex scandal or some other big reason. I'm talking about we got to get our hospitality down for those who are coming back to the church from six months ago, not even from the last 10, 15 years. 
and and to have those conversations if you are not a ministry leader at a at a parish to be bold enough to say well i'm a parishioner here let, let's talk to the pastor and have a, have an intentional conversation about what that looks like. Um, yep. Because people don't tithe if they don't attend, right? I mean, yeah. to a degree. Yeah. And so, um, and so your parish isn't going to be, isn't going to be there. They're going to be, uh, the, the, mid, the Midwest is getting combo parishes where parish clusters are starting to take place under one pastor and, and things like that. And it's hard. And the pa- it's not the pastor's job to save, to save those parishes. Mm-hmm. It's the laity. It's the role of the laity. And so to step up and empower. And also, all this is sky is falling. It feels a little bit like that. But there is a rich hope in Jesus Christ in, re- in, in regards to all of this. We are in a new age. And we are here right now for a reason. And so I want us to discern what does that mean? What does our role mean? Um, but we're, we're on the field. We're not on the sidelines. That's something. Yep. So what does it mean to be on the field in so many different roles as ministry leader, as disciple, as a family member? Yeah. And, and we, we, you know, are tasked in a way with building that team. You know, we, we have to be the ones going out and, and making disciples. Um, that's our mission, you know, and we, we have to, like, you can't look behind you or look at someone else to, to, to build this team. You've got to be the one building the team. We have to be the ones building this team. And you were given grace specific to this age to do so. We can do this. You can do this. Amen. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation online. Please send any feedback you guys have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here in- You know what? I don't know if we've like made a plea or even asked people to, to rate the podcast to comment in forever. Um, I'm not even sure when the last rating or comment we got was. <laughs> that, that was true. You, you had to call out a specific priest that you knew was a listener to get our last yeah. rating in. Yeah. Hey, guys, it would really help us out, and it would help get the word out as well. If you could, rate, uh, give us a five-star rating. Like, I'm going to be specific. Like, don't give there us a go. one-star rating. If you want to give a one-star <laughs> rating, send us an You're email. You're probably not MLA, still listening. Yeah, mla.blaze.us. <laughs> but if you want to give a five-star rating, please do so. It takes two minutes, and it would do a lot to help uh, grow our community. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to boldly pray for other ministry leaders and enter the apostolic age. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless.